Sebastian Stan once said, Embrace your differences and the qualities about you that you think are weird. Eventually, they're going to be the only things separating you from everyone else. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about RPG WTF. WTF? What the fudge? Where's the fruit? Who's the foreman? Doesn't matter. What we're talking about today are unusual RPGs. Very strange ones. Ones at the fringe of the gaming experience. Because honestly, couldn't we all use some more weirdness in our life? I mean... We all have D&D, we all have World of Darkness, all of the essential RPGs. What we're talking about today, though, are ones that are more out there, stranger, more unusual. Strange, unusual choices in RPGs. Let's get started. The first one we have for you today is Dark Heresy. It kind of feels a little half-hearted to say that Dark Heresy is a WTF RPG, but let's really think about it. It's a fantasy game set in space, and not only is it a fantasy game, it's a grimdark fantasy game. It's oppressive, and all the technology's breaking, and everyone's going insane because of space demons. It's weird. What is Dark Heresy? Dark Heresy is a role-playing game based on the universe of Warhammer 40k, which was originally a tabletop war game set in a grimdark future 40,000, well, 38,000 years in the future. In it, there's all kinds of psychic warp, crazy orcs that form from spores, a hive fleet of monstrosities, and, of course, the ever-present Space Marines, here to save the day in their big, chunky Space Marine armor and their grim, dark exterminatus mentality toward anything outside of the purviews of what the Empire is willing to accept. In Dark Heresy, you are playing Empire Inquisitors. Now, Inquisitors are people who go out and stomp out heresies. These are... Horrible things that threaten the Empire. Things that have formed because of malfunctioning technology or incursions from dark, ancient demons into the modern world. Things like psychic abilities. Although, one of the Inquisitors in your group could be psychic. Things like blood magic. Once again, one of the Inquisitors in your group could have blood magic. And all sorts of other things. This is, in my view, one of the most quintessential WTF experiences. It's just weird. It's unlike a lot of other games. Uh, it really takes a bit to get your head into the mindset to play this game. As far as the rules are concerned, it's a bit chunky and clunky, kind of more in line with the feel of classic games like D&D 2nd Edition, but it does have a lot of modern polish to its presentation, which helps it be approachable and workable. It is, however, kind of a classic game experience, and it's very hit and miss and swingy as, as far as success and failure are concerned. It's a really interesting gaming experience. I once ran a Dark Heresy game wherein the player characters were kidnapped, thrown into a coliseum pit against flesh-warped dogs, then had to go up onto the surface of this urbanized world, found out that a dark creature from the backside of the moon was going to come down and destroy all life on this planet. And they had to go from having nothing all the way up to defeating a creature that could regenerate all of its hit points every round. This is pretty insane, 
and over the top and kind of fun. Yeah, it, the, a lot of the fun of it is in how bizarre and out there the 40K setting is. It is a world where, you know, gene banks are used to produce these near-perfect space marines, where the average person is not merely completely helpless to determine their own fate, but completely helpless to actually influence the world in any meaningful way, and you as the Inquisitors are the active forces in an otherwise self-perpetuating world that just goes on without purpose or point. It's a grimdark world where nothing matters and where everything is terrible. So it's a fantastic setting for an interesting story and for a bizarre break from reality and an opportunity to move away from the norms of gaming. Speaking of moving away from the norms of gaming, Cthulhu Tech. This is Pacific Rim the RPG. We have been so blessed since H.P. Lovecraft's work has gone into the public domain because now people can do ridiculous things with them and actually publish those ridiculous things. And Cthulhu Tech is a direct result of that. I think it was released, what was it? I want to say like one one month? One day. One day. One day after the Call of Cthulhu and accompanying body of work passed into the public domain. So, you know, they really crunched to make this game because they absolutely wouldn't have just made it in advance and then released it when it actually went into the public domain. That would be crazy. Anyway, Cthulhu Tech. As we said, Pacific Rim, the RPG before Pacific Rim. It is a game where you are piloting giant battle mechs and battling eldritch horrors in over-the-top Gundam-style battles between light and darkness, the forces of mankind, and the forces of eldritch horror. There's also a level of investigation in it because it is based off of the Cthulhu mythos. So it feels a little bit like Blade Runner, but there's also the alien symbiotes kind of like from Spider-Man, and it's just all over the place. There's sanity mechanics, there's shooting elder things in the face. The big thing we wanted to talk about, though, was kind of this resolution mechanic that ties it all together. Speaking of weird things, the next game we want to talk about is Gamma World, specifically the one that came out during 4th edition D&D. Now, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I can't stand 4th edition D&D. I think it was a great game for not Dungeons and Dragons. And Gamma World is proof of that because Gamma World is freaking awesome. It uses the same resolution mechanics and rules as D&D 4th Edition with a few minor variations, but it's a game set in a world that's been bizarrely warped by radiation and magic, and it's more in line of what the 90s Saturday morning cartoons imagined when they think of a post-apocalyptic world with uh, nuclear soup throughout it. It's more of a bizarro world where genetic mutations can result in any sort of craziness that you can possibly imagine. Great examples include you could be a man who is literally comprised of a swarm of kittens or a levitating robot walrus. I mean, anything is possible. Now, the thing about this edition of Gamma World that really intrigues me is they sold these booster packs that gave you powers. You could open up a booster pack and pull out this card and go, oh, I can change this so that way my new character has a laser rifle 
that he wouldn't otherwise have or have uh, x-ray vision or anything like that. And this booster pack idea was kind of cool and kitschy and interesting. And it also really killed the idea of D&D 4th Edition. If they were going to go this collectible card game route with the rules, that really just destroyed the ability of the DM to have total control over what was happening in his game. What's kind of interesting about it is that collectible rules games have been kind of a tongue-in-cheek inevitability joke of the RPG community for a very long time. I remember on RPG Net back in the early 2000s, Jeff Freeman wrote a column predicting that there would eventually be collectibles rules games and that some company would dub them trading rules games to try to emphasize the trading element that just would not exist for the level of hoarding that would occur among players in these sort of games. And Gamma World, I think, is the only game to actually do that, where they released booster packs of powers and abilities that were meant to be purchased as a rules add-on to the game that would allow you to have abilities you wouldn't normally have access to. Another thing about Gamma World that's worth noting is that character creation was kind of optionally, but only semi-optionally, random. You would roll dice to determine what kind of character you were expected to build. And it would just be like adjective noun style, like robot, cat, or swarm of slime. Yeah, swarm of slime, or things like that. Just all of these different possibilities, and it was just in the adjective noun format. And it would result in kind of an exercising creativity to try to come up with a character that you want to play that matches these two archetypes, which also had rules attached to them that would influence how your character played. But for the most part, the purpose was to give you this weird sort of character creation. Gamma World, in general, was a great tactical combat game in the vein of 4th edition. To me... This is what 4th edition should have been all along, is a game that was not trying to be D&D and not trying to walk in D&D's footsteps, but to take this tactical combat game that's actually very refined and polished and turn it into something worth playing. Gamma World, super cool. Seriously look into it. Now, since we're talking about things that are a little weird, uh, a good friend of mine, the Reverend Doctor That Guy, showed me a game called Underground. Underground is a satirical, grim and gritty superhero role-playing game, kind of in the vein of the Dark Age of comics, kind of like Aeon Flux or Alan Moore's works, and in it you're playing as super soldiers who have come back from a war to find that corporations have taken over the world and you need to band together with other super soldiers to build an underground resistance. Now, gaining your superpowers gives you kind of mental instabilities. The horrors of war and forced operations on you really took a toll on your psyche. And Overall, it is such a weird and interesting game, I couldn't not put it on this list. You are given a certain amount of money to buy your starting character's upgrades and augmentations, and then you have to go through the surgery that happened, you roll to see if you gain any of these deranged or insanities, and then you try and play this character who is unstable but trying to be a hero. It's wonderful and weird and 
dark. The next game on our list is Engine Heart. Um, it is essentially Wally the RPG, with the small difference that in the presumed setting, humans are just gone. And we've obviously created all these AI robots and stuff to automate our world and make it better for us. But in this post-human world, it's kind of like all these robots are just going about their business. But because they're all advanced artificial intelligence, there is a certain search for meaning in a world where the functions for which you're created have become obsolete. It's an interesting setting and it's an interesting story to play as these robots who have these original functions. They're, they might be cleaning bots. They might be largely for sorting packages or for airlifting materials. They might be drones. They might have been for warfare. But now all the purpose for which you created is gone and the robots are free to forge their own purpose. It's a really interesting game because it's a divergence from the assumption that there is an organic life that's important to the world. In this game, you're artificial intelligence trying to find meaning in being artificial intelligence. And whether that takes a really philosophical bent as you're building a new robot society or merely a pragmatic bent as you're trying to find sustainable power sources and the ability to repair yourself so that you can last in the long term is really up to you and the kind of game you play. I've run Engine Heart before and it's a really fascinating experience that gives you uh, something to work off of that makes it a unique experience, something that uh, kind of tugs on your heartstrings in an unusual way. And I feel like all the players in my game came away from it. Jeremy, you kind of came away from it feeling like uh, you played Engine Heart with us, right? I played Engine Heart with you, and I played Engine Heart with your brother. And the most interesting thing about the system for me is you're given all of these functions that your robot can have. But their functions related to what they can do for people. Like uh, my friend Chris had a robot who uh, was a garbage compactor. I had a robot that was a service robot. He could mix martinis and could blow a fan to cool off his uh, human masters. How are those abilities going to be, uh, work together in a post-apocalyptic destroyed world? Yeah, and how are your robot brethren going to treat you given that your abilities are primarily built around how you can serve humans, whereas there may be other robots whose abilities, even though they're also created for the service of humans, might be more functional within the society. It creates an interesting sort of pathos, an idea of trying to sort people by their value and in the sense that they're non-people, like that we don't see them as human it creates a weird divide that makes us kind of question how we feel and it gives that, us that transhuman question. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. Either way, it's a really entertaining experience. Oh man, the the last few games that we talked about are just kind of dark and gritty and, and post-apocalyptic. Yeah, post-apocalyptic. So let's let's talk about something a little bit more wholesome. Let's talk about Puppet Land. Not wholesome, but wonderful nonetheless. Puppet Land is a bedtime story, which means that the game session is played in 30 minutes, period. You start the clock and in real time play out this game session in 30 minutes. It's set in the puppet world where Punch, the evil marionette, is the most dangerous and wicked puppet of them all. And you are trying just to survive under his iron-fisted rule 
or even overthrow him. Interesting things about this game. It is a diceless game. Everything is described in relation to how things can work. For instance, a finger puppet is very small. A finger puppet cannot overpower a hand puppet, but it is small enough to run and hide from a hand puppet consistently. Under normal circumstances, with no other constraints, these things are always true. A finger puppet will never defeat a hand puppet in a fair fight. A hand puppet will never catch a finger puppet in a fair foot race. Another thing about the game is it's played in a constrained style. Because this is a bedtime story and a puppet show, the DM is expected, when not speaking as a character, to describe the events in narrative terms and to never break character. For instance, you know, he might say, The moat was cool and the water was deep. It was dark and the puppets were afraid. And then the players are expected to respond and speak as if they're their characters and not describe their actions, but say aloud what they're doing, as one would in a puppet show. Oh no, the moat is far too much to swim. I'll cut down this tree. Mm, mm. It is very difficult to cut down the tree, but with my axe, I can do it. Chop, chop. The tree fell and he was able to carve it into a boat. Now I will push the boat into the water and we will cross the moat. This is how the game is played. It's an interesting game experience and it gets you into an unusual mindset. It's fun to have these sort of dramatic exercises within games and it makes for a really entertaining and memorable experience. Uh, Puppet Land is very cool in this respect. It is also very dark. While obviously at bedtime, everybody goes to bed, and wakes up refreshed in the morning, the trick is surviving until bedtime. Because if you don't make it those 30 minutes, you're dead. But even if you're on death's door, about to be torn limb from limb at the end of the 30 minutes, when the timer goes ding, everybody goes to sleep and wakes up refreshed and healthy. The next game we have to talk about is Tales from the Loop. Now, this is a game that was sold to me based entirely on the art. It is kind of Stranger Things, Stand By Me, The Goonies, It, the role-playing game. It's a group of kids having to figure out what's going on in their sleepy little town. The loop in the title refers to this center that's at the middle of town that has constructed all sorts of weird scientific apparatuses. And bad things happen, and then the kids have to try and figure out what to do. In one of the example adventures in the book, the kids are going around playing when suddenly they hear birds talking in robotic voices. What are you going to do? How do you figure out what's happening? And how do you, as kids, help solve this problem? Kind of what's interesting about this is that it it wasn't done before. It seems like a game like this should have existed for a very long time. It's a really obvious jumping point for an RPG, and it makes for a really interesting experience. I mean, we're all a little leery of playing children in RPGs, mostly because in RPGs we're used to people, you know, getting horribly maimed and dying and terrible things happening to them. And it makes us uncomfortable when that happens to children. But wasn't that like a whole genre of movies in the 80s? There's this entire kids trying to save the day sort of genre. And if you play with that in mind, it can make for a really interesting experience and a really cool adventure. And something that speaks to the nostalgia in those of us who were children in the 80s. And with the sort of 80s revival that series like Stranger Things and New Wave Revival music, which is apparently a thing now, 
and really exciting to me, but with those things coming back, it does also touch on this new cultural touchstone of us returning to that sort of aesthetic. The next game we have to talk about is Nobilis. Nobilis. Oh, where to begin? I love... Okay, Nobilis is a game of contemporary fantasy where the players are nobles, member of this nobilis, with magical powers over a domain which can be just about any abstract concept, be it truth, diamonds, cars, video games, depression, backseas, which take backseas, you know, like the concept of, you know, being a conditional giver and things like that, which, by the way, is an example from the book. That's not me, you know, taking this game in a weird direction. It wasn't intended. Drama, smells, anything. And you have powers over these things. And, oh, it's it's so hard to describe this game in any meaningful sense, but I'm really going to try. Jeremy, your thoughts real quick. Well, let, let me give you just a, a glimpse into this game. The primary antagonist of the game is Lord Entropy. He rules over the world of Ash, which is the world, and he's dressed in black and his hands are constantly bleeding. But when he's described in the book... Oh my gosh, Let's. Uh, do you have that description up right now? Because it's, it's worth reading. Just Let's just read this verbatim. Hold on a second. Okay, Lord Entropy. This is, this is description straight out of the book, okay? There is an evil god who rules the mortal world from his hidden chancel. He is Lord Entropy. He is so evil that his hands drip blood even when he's just hanging out watching a basketball game. He's so evil that he can just smile at you and not do anything at all to you and a few years later you'll turn into a degenerate third world dictator like Saddam Hussein. Some people estimate that he is two-thirds of all corrupt dictators, CEOs, and other important people are people who met Lord Entropy without knowing it and carry a stain upon his soul. He is so easily evil he doesn't have to try to be evil, but sometimes he does. Sometimes he stops moping around and being emo and he picks random people off the street, whisks them away to his locust court, and puts them on trial for real or facetious crimes. Sometimes he sends his ogres and nimblejacks to serve him, great brutish thugs and di- diabolic imps respectively, out into to a world to mess things up that are good, tear down what is bright and virtuous, and in general do nasty things for no other reason than because he can. Oh my goodness, how? It's, it's, this is an eighth grade writing level, I would say, but here's the thing. Despite the fact that this is honestly one of the corniest RPGs I've ever read, um, despite the fact that all of the art in it is circa 2002 deviant art quality work where it's just, you know, these sketches by people who are kind of trying to do the, uh, anime thing. And despite the fact that the writing is simultaneously pretentious and incompetent about it, it's really fascinating. Uh, it's such a bizarre setting. It's, um... It has that pastiche of all religions being a little bit true that a lot of games have, but unlike most games where they go, well, yes, these are all just different ways of looking at the world through different lenses, it picks and chooses pieces of world religions and uses them. Like Yggdrasil, the world tree from Norse mythology, is literally real, but so is the concept of dharma and karma from various Indian religions like Hinduism and Jainism and such. These things all exist in 
Harmony isn't the word because this is such a bizarre piecemeal setting, but in a way that's coherent enough that you can see it as a real actual game setting. I found a section in the book about resources, about uh, things that have inspired this game, and they list On a Pale Horse, The Complete Traveler in Black, and... Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which when I when I think of all those, I can kind of see what they're going for here. But then I start uh, reading the actual rules and it goes, noblest characters are half human or more rarely half animal. This is important. Their humanity makes them comprehensible. At the same time, however, each contains an immortal fragment of the Imperator's soul. Even if the power falls in battle with Excrucians, the fragment endures and the Imperator passes it on to an heir or successor. And, ah, my head is hurting just trying to read that. The world is better for Nobilis being in it. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine a world where this type of game isn't wanted or needed by some people. It is such an interesting idea, but at the same time, I am overjoyed to say there is only one Nobilis. I've never seen anything quite like this. And while I am kind of poking fun at it, and to some degree, it's ridiculous. I want to say a few quick things about it. First of all, Think about all the projects you have that you've never finished. Nobilis is a complete game, even though it literally says Volume 1 and there's nothing else to it. But this is a complete game. This is an actual game that you can play, that has coherent rules, that is playable, that is interesting, honestly. And really, how many of us have projects we never finish? How many of us have never gone through with something and gotten it to the point where it could be something we published? And second... You know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. This is a bizarre game, but someone out there has a hole in their heart that was nobilis-shaped, and this fit into it like a perfect little puzzle piece. And honestly, that's kind of beautiful. I absolutely love this. I don't think I'm ever going to run it, but I feel I am better for having known it existed and having read it. I just... It's incredible. Now... Having discussed all of these out there games, we know there are a lot more games that are way out there, and we'd like to give just a few honorable mentions before we close out this episode. The first one I want to talk about is Deadlands. Anytime you hear me talk about other RPGs, I will throw Deadlands out there. It is a wild western game with monsters and zombie cowboys and hucksters that throw around magic and Native American demons and mad scientists brewing up these wonderful machinations. All of it is brought together in this weird Western setting. Not to mention that it features things like using poker hands to cast spells, uh, poker chips as part of the game mechanics, and of course dice like almost every RPG, but all these things give it kind of a unique, interesting feel. Our second honorable mention goes to Don't Rest Your Head. Did you ever want to fall into a miserable world of insanity and despair as your insomnia gives you incredible powers but inevitably kills you? No. Well, have I got a game... Wait, what? No! That sounds awful! Yeah, it is! And that's what makes it a great game. Don't Rest Your Head is a game about people who've awakened to this world of horrors 
And having done so, they know that the minute they fall asleep, it's going to completely overtake them and destroy them. So they have to stay awake for the rest of their lives. Which, if you've ever known someone who tried to stay awake for a very long time, you know that as you stay awake, the rest of your lives becomes shorter and shorter. And that's the theme of the game. But you get superpowers out of it, and that's pretty freaking cool. The next one we want to talk about is Bliss Stage. Bliss Stage is, um, wow, uh, I love the idea behind this game because it breaks one of the taboos of role-playing games. That is, it features explicit sexual content. The players are all mech pilots in the style of Evangelion, and they have a pilot and navigator because they have to take these mechs into this secret dream realm, and the pilot and the navigator have to have a relationship built on intimacy, and that's both emotional and sexual intimacy. And the more sexual intimacy you have, the less emotional intimacy you can achieve, and it's an interesting dichotomy based on how this world functions. Um, it's a game that can have both happy and sad endings, and it's a game about child soldiers. So in a sense, it's really uncomfortable in a lot of visceral ways. It's obviously not for everyone. It's obviously not for most people, but... If you want to take a departure from the norms of RPGs, this is about as departed as you can get from that. The next game we want to talk about is Fiasco, often called the play-your-own-Coen Brothers movie. And you could play The Big Lebowski, you could play A Serious Man, you could play No Country for Old Men. All of these would be well within the realm of what you can do with the Fiasco engine. It is a game about telling crazy stories with crazy characters where everything goes wrong. All right, and we want to kind of wrap it up with one final honorable mention. We haven't actually played this game, but it is so fascinating to us that we absolutely will, and we will probably do an episode of it. The game is called The Cloud Dungeon, and it kind of belies any attempt to simply describe it because it is a game where you play through the game book itself and you have to physically deconstruct the book with scissors and tape and crayons and markers. It's kind of a paper craft RPG where there's a bunch of like physical manipulation of these components that you create from cutting up and otherwise destroying this game book. It looks so wonderful. It The characters are these standees that you print out or take directly from the book, and you then color on them when they get certain bits of equipment. You roll dice to defeat enemies. And as John said, you go through this book destroying it, but also having an adventure. It's interesting because it's ki- it's explicitly kid-friendly and was actually designed kind of with kids at, in mind, but... We're all children at heart, and this gives us an opportunity to go back to those roots of being a kid in preschool or kindergarten and playing around with markers and crayons and paper and and making and cutting things and doing all sorts of those things. It also features group decision-making. I'm not sure what exactly that entails, and it's a learn-as-you-play game. You just open the book, start cutting and start coloring, and just go at it. That's my understanding of it. 
I'm looking forward to getting a chance to actually play that. But just based on looking at it, I think it's something that is going to be really exciting and interesting and something I might want to either do again and again or just something that becomes a cherished memory. Even if it turns out weird or kind of uncomfortable or unusual, I think it's going to be something really cool. So that was RPG WTF. Hopefully we've given you plenty of ideas of games that are a little out there, a little weird, a little out of your comfort zone, just to kind of look at and understand and even know that they exist. Uh, What do we have up next? Next, we're going to do Board Game WTF, which is going to be the same thing, except we're going to be talking about other tabletop games, mostly board games, but we might have some sort of odd card games or something in there. All right. That sounds absolutely wonderful. This has been Save Versus Rant. Thank you very much for listening. When the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Huntress Thompson. Save Versus Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save Versus Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save Versus Rant. We'd love to hear from you. 